0: And I'm just going to dive right in because I, I, I'm I just so excited for I, what I believe God has for the Freshwater Community Church. You are situated in a region uh, where I believe that there are 25,000 people in your community, many of them desperate for significance, for grace, for truth, for what you have found in Christ. And I want to just kind of come from Chicago and just try my best to inspire you to say what you have may you give it away that's that's basically the talk what God has given to you may you give it away and I want to do this just simply Uh, I have a mentor his name's Bob Goff and he uh recently just gave me a compass and he just said hey you have one job in life and it's just to point people to true north do you know where true north is just show me where your hands are Where true north is some of you are like up no it's it is it's right over here right and and Jesus is our true north and our job is to fix our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith and point as many people as we can towards him towards true north what you have I believe God wants to use to point people to true north I'm going to start in a passage from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me there. It will be up on the screens. And Paul's writing, it's his last letter, to the most unlikely disciple. I don't have time to really go into that. But Timothy was someone who was being handed a baton. And Paul wanted him to understand what his charge was to be. He says these words, But you, Timothy, keep your head In all, in every situation, some translations say be sober-minded, be aware, be present, endure suffering, endure hardship. You are going to have difficult days. That's what we call the John Cooper era. Now, do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of an evangelist. And that's my word for you today, As I want you to be an evangelist. Now, I know some of you are sitting here going, Steve, wait, 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 wait when I think of an evangelist, I think of like suits that don't fit, I think of five-syllable words, and I think of guys with bullhorns and signs. And, And here's what I want you to know. Whether you are an extrovert or you are an introvert, no matter what your spiritual gifts are, I believe that God wants to use you your story, your gifts, the way he has wired you and made you to point people towards true north and towards Jesus. I want you to understand that you are an evangelist. You are. Now, if you're an extrovert, you know how to skim the surface. You can talk to a ton of people. You get energy from people. Thanks be to God for you. Do the work of an evangelist. And I know some of you are sitting here going, Steve, I'm an introvert. People drain me. It's okay, but I, what I'll tell you about an, an introvert, I'm married to one, is that you go deep with a few people and you see them and you know them and I'd say, please, do the work of an evangelist. And when I think of evangelists, I think of someone who is a risk taper, taker, someone who like, understands what's been given to them and they're willing to take risks to help people encounter the grace and peace that's found in True North. And what's your spiritual gift? For some of you, it's hospitality. For some of you, it's mercy. For some of you, it's leadership. Well, let me tell you this. Every spiritual gift points people towards Jesus. Every spiritual gift leads to evangelism. Why? If you're the hospitality gift, what are you good at? Creating a environment that points people to true north, to Jesus. If you have the mercy gift, you're the hands and feet of Jesus. And that points people to the love of True North, Jesus. Leadership, you create cultures and direction and love well, lead well, pointing people to the way of Jesus. Every spiritual gift, every story, every way that you have been wired ought to be used to point people to Jesus. This word evangelist, I think it's a bad rap in our culture today. But really what that word literally means is to make make the good news your life's work. And that's what our world is desperate to see. People who are telling a good story, people who are propagating good news, and people who are pushing and and helping people discover a good, good father. And that's my hope, because I believe every one of you in this room can do it. But I wanna just share with you, because I think sometimes we think of this idea of do the work of an evangelist, and we go, man, that means I gotta be someone else. I was in the Middle East uh, recently in a city called Ramallah. I was walking, and I saw from a distance the, this certain color green, and it was so familiar. I could kind of smell what was coming up from this little storefront, and it, it smelt something similar and familiar, and as I got closer, the font, I I recognized the font, and whenever I'm away from my family, I need something that reminds me of home, and as I got closer, I was like, it's Starbucks. This is unbelievable. Like, not having great coffee, this is going to be amazing, but as I got closer and closer to it, it was actually this. Stars and bucks. Now, let me just tell you this, if this were to be open here in Ohio, I guarantee you Howard Schultz would send a cease and desist letter for copyright infringement, right? But here's what I think often happens when we think of evangelism. We think of doing the work of an evangelist, what we tend to do as Christ followers is go, well, I got to look like that person or do it like that person, and whenever we try that, just like Stars and Bucks coffee, it looked like Starbucks, it did not taste like Starbucks. I think that ends up happening with us. And here's the truth. God just wants you to be you. He wants you to use your story. How God has redeemed and shaped and formed you. God wants to use your gifts. He's not looking to make you like somebody else. He wants you to be You and have Christ at work and the Spirit of God at work in you, through you, for the sake of your city, your community, the world. Be you. You wanna do the work of an evangelist? You wanna make good news your life's work? Point people to the true north, but by doing it by being you. The second thing about how you do the work of an evangelist, how you make the good news your life's work, you've gotta be willing to go wherever. Uh, Jesus, before he ascended back into heaven in Acts chapter one eight, what did he say? He said, the spirit of the Lord is gonna come upon you. He's talking to the disciples where you are gonna bear witness what I've done, the power of what I've done in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. To Jerusalem, which was the familiar. It's what they knew. To Judea, the people that they thought were less than. To Samaria, the people that they can't stand, to the ends of the earth, to the people they have no desire to understand, and then to Columbus. You know, like God is just progressing and moving. But here's what you have to understand. When God's spirit comes upon you, it's going to call you. It's going to move you. It's going to stir in you to go to places outside your comfort zone. And the question is, every sincere Christ follower must ask themselves this. How wide is my everyone? Is your everyone very narrow? They must look like me, act like me, dress like me, vote like me, like all the same teams as me. Or is your view of God's heart for everyone always? Recently, I got this phone call, and a buddy of mine said, hey, the Pope would like to meet you. I was like, what? Yeah, right. That's that's a that's a this is the dumbest prank call ever. I hung up on him. He calls back. He goes, "No, no, no. He wants to meet you. Come come to the Vatican and let's meet the Pope." And I'm like, "Sure." So the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, I, I went out there. Now, I was trying to think through what what do you what do you bring the Pope, right? I thought to myself, maybe I could bring him some like candles, but then I thought he probably has too many candles. I thought about maybe bringing him some a Bible. But I was like, he probably has a ton of Bibles. And then I thought, I live in the city of Chicago. I'm going to bring him something that represents our city. Not deep dish pizza that wouldn't have made it through customs. But I thought the one thing. And so I showed up to the Vatican. Pope shows up. He, like, starts greeting. There's about 40,000 people. And he, like, is in this little pope mobile made by Mercedes. And he's, like, just kissing babies, praying with people, and he just meets people, meets people. He goes and gives a message. It's translated in nine different languages. Then he goes and talks with the sick, and then he comes back, and then he starts making his way towards me, and I, I, I go to my backpack. I pull out my gift, and I hand him this. A Chicago Cubs jersey. Yes, yeah, sorry, Indian fans. <clears throat> but like, Here's the deal, I look at him and I give him this jersey and I was like, I didn't know what to give him but I just said, hey, I'm a sports guy, here you go. Uh, And and then he looks at me and he says these words. Preach. Preach the good news. The world needs better preaching, preach. Don't ever stop preaching the name of Jesus, preach. And I have a phone and I recorded it and I couldn't believe that's what he said to me. I get on the plane. I'm flying back home, and I'm over the Atlantic Ocean. It's about one in the morning. I go up to sitting in 34D. I go up the overhead, grab my journal, get my phone out. I listen to it, and I write it down. I'm like, why, why, why would the Pope just say these words to me? And then I get home. My wife goes, well, "How was it?" And I'm like, oh, "This is what happened. I gave him the jersey, and then he said these words." And then she goes, "What are you gonna do?" I'm like, "I'm gonna preach. I'm gonna preach." And, and I had this moment where I posted this picture on Facebook, and I just said, this is what the Pope shared with me. And some people were like, that's amazing. And then other people said this, how dare you go see that guy? He's a heretic. And I, all of a sudden, just on Facebook, I used to like want to know what everybody was thinking, and then I got Facebook. But like, like there's this, this moment where I could see underneath their question was their view of everyone. God's, like, called me to the Middle East. Uh, One day I was looking for, like, free Wi-Fi. I'm staying in Bethlehem in Palestinian territory. And I'm looking for free Wi-Fi. The hotel wasn't great, but there was a hookah lounge across the street, and I decided to walk, and it's about 1 in the morning. And I'm just trying to connect with my family. So I get the free Wi-Fi, and I'm like, oh, this is great, this is great. I'm walking towards the, the hookah lounge, and I hear God whisper, Talk to those soldiers over there. I look over and there's three Palestinian soldiers with guns, and I'm like, "Give me free Wi-Fi." <laughs> and he he just says, "Go talk to them." How, how, let me just stop right here and say, how do you begin a conversation with Palestinian soldiers at one in the morning? I walk up to him and I'm like, "It's a beautiful night in Bethlehem." Like, what's what do you say, right? And so I start engaging with them. What's your name? And they start telling me their names, and They asked me, what's my name? And the guy goes, uh, I said, my name's Steve. And one of the guys goes, oh, like my favorite U.S. actor. I was like, oh, who is that? He goes, Steven Seagal. And my response to him was, God can use anything for good. And (laughs) we end up having this conversation. I go, hey, do you guys live in Bethlehem? And one of them go, they, they go, no, we live in Nablus. And I'm like, Nablus? That's where I'm going on Thursday. I'm going to this U.N. refugee camp called Balada. That's where like uh, 35,000 people live in like 1.3 square miles. It's, it's insane. And they're all like, we live there. I'm like, what? I'm like, dude, you gotta give a tour for my friends. I brought 20 people from, from California there. I'm like, give us a tour, just don't bring your guns. And they're like, great. So we show up on Thursday and they give us a tour. Now here's the crazy thing about this UN refugee camp. Right outside of it is a church. So these three soldiers, non-practicing Muslims, who are leading us on a tour, I go, have you ever been to this church? They're like, no. Well, quick time out, this church. Underneath this church, there's a well. And this well is called Jacob's Well. If you've ever read John chapter 4, you know that Jesus had to go to Samaria, and at, he finds himself sitting at this well, and he has this conversation with this woman. This is that well. I say to these guys, have you ever been to this this church there's like amazing water down there there's this well they're like no I'm like come with me we go to this church we walk down into they've never been to a church before we walk down to the basement where you can still pull up water from this and then all of a sudden I start talking about what people desire I said for some of us we just desire peace I said in Hebrew it's the word shalom it's like the world being made right how God intended it I said in Arabic it's the word salam I said, how many of you just are looking for true peace? And in John chapter four, I read the passage, I said, Jesus says that he's the true peace. He's the living, fresh water. And all of a sudden I said, does anybody want this? And the first three people to come forward were these Palestinian soldiers, They come up and they drink the water. We gather around them. We pray. At the end of it, like one of them gives me like this family heirloom necklace. Another guy like gives me his like senior picture, and he's like, "Don't forget me." And like the beautiful thing about Facebook is we still stay in contact. And and I'll say this: I play all of that back, and it started from a whisper. I was looking for free Wi-Fi, and God was trying to get my heart to look for His creation. I want you to understand something, friends. Every moment is brimming with redemptive potential. Whether in your neighborhood, whether in the marketplace, whether in Starbucks, whether in the Middle East, whether at the airport, wherever you are, God is present and God wants to use you. You. And he wants to use you to point people to true north. And he wants you just to be you. But you gotta have a view of people the way God has a view of everyone. Do you? Or do you find yourself just going, man, I gotta stay in Jerusalem? Because the spirit of God wants to come upon you and just move your heart, move your mind, be able to engage with everyone always. And what this will always do is point you towards people. Uh, My friend Simone Biles, uh, you know her probably from doing flips and twirls and stuff. She's won amazing gold medals. She's danced with the stars. Um, But I had a moment with her recently, And I invited her out to our church, and we were just kind of talking about faith. And then I walked her to our junior high ministry. And as I was walking her to our junior high ministry, she got up and shared a couple things to encourage the junior high students. And right over here, there was this little girl named Jess Giannopoulos, dear friend. Uh, Jess has special needs. And Jess was standing there. And as Simone got off the stage, and she had to run to catch a plane that was taking her to New York for some gig, and she was like on a schedule, and all her people are like, She's gotta go, she's gotta go, she's gotta go. She's walking down the steps when little Jess Giannopoulos holds up a bag filled with her Special Olympics gold medals, and she goes, I got medals too. You wanna see my medals? And I watched Simone look at her people, her entourage, and they were like time, time, time. And then I saw her look at the eyes of this girl. And I watched her just walk over, get on her knee, and look at all of these medals. Here's a picture of it. And it's like absolutely so moving to me because I realized something: someone who is so important had places to go, people to be with, deals to be made, understood the power of people. I think for so many of us, our lives are so busy. And God whispers to us in the coffee shop, but we're like, I just gotta get my coffee, I gotta go. And we are so busy that we miss out on the moments that God wants to use us to invite people into his story. And I wonder, is like your life too busy that you find yourself missing moments in the grocery store, in your neighborhood, And having a longer conversation, you just go, I don't have the time, I gotta keep going, gotta keep going, gotta keep going. And I think the heart, when you make the good news your life's work, you keep pointing people to true north and you do it by being you and you have this wide view of everyone. And you know what? You recognize that the only thing that you can take into the next reality is people. It's not money, it's not power, it's not prestige, it's not titles, it's people. And when you Feel the thrill of helping someone discover what True North is. It's a game changer for your life. I I remember understanding this because uh, when I was in college, this was the car that was given to me. It's a 1983 Ford Country Squire station wagon with the woody paneling and the pleather. It wasn't leather. It was plastic leather. And I kid you not, that car simply just meant I was never going to get a date. But I remember one day driving, <clears throat> and as I was driving this car, 47 miles per hour down the I 5 in Southern California, and I remember God just kind of whispering, prompting, speaking to me. And He just simply said, I gave you this car. How many seats are in this car? I was like, oh man, I could probably fit 13. Four in the front, four in the middle, five in the back. If I roll down the window, carbon monoxide would come in, kill all of them, but it'd be all right. <laughs> 13. He goes, what if you just started to name every seat and that you would pray that God would actually pray to me and ask, ask for the opportunities to invite people to church, invite people to uh, conversations about faith. And so I did that. I was working at Pottery Barn at a bar and I was playing basketball at Cal State Fullerton and I just started naming the seats. I started praying. I became a junior high pastor a number of years later, and we were about 200 people in our junior high ministry. It was a smelly room. And I remember, like, two weeks later, we were going to do this massive event. And so I brought up all these seats from cars. And I just said, Hey, if your mom drives a Volvo, like a soccer mom. I'm just like, That's a gift from God. What if you named every seat? Your dad's got a truck. You got five seats in that truck? What if you named every seat and started praying? Your dad drives a sports car, and you only got one extra seat? Fantastic. Pray. But name a seat. That's a gift from God. And two weeks later, we did this event. And I'll tell you what, 85% of the seats of these junior high students were packed with people, friends who had never been to church. And the last car that pulled up was a 1983 Ford Country Squire station wagon, and the dad gets out of the car, goes to the very back, opens it up, and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. 10, 11, 12, 13. It's not even legal right now. 14, 15, 16 junior high students come out. And the last junior high student that pops out has got a beehive going due east. And he looks at me and goes, It's the miracle of the station wagon. And he rolls in. <laughs> and I just sat there and, like, Tears started coming down my eyes. And I kid you not, within six months, eight of those 16 students gave their life to Christ, got baptized. And then they took their junior high by storm. And when they entered into the public high school as freshmen, they did not enter in as freshmen. They entered in as disciples and citizens of heaven who wanted an uprising on their campus. And by the time they were a sophomore in high school, these eight were leading crazy amounts of high school students to faith. And I play it all the way back. It's because a kid with a beehive going due east had the audacity to pray over every seat and the willingness to make an invitation. Friends, let me just ask you, when's the last time you've invited someone to church? When's the last time you've invited someone who's far from God, who's different from you, into your house? When's the last time you've invited someone just to hear their story? Friends, when we get the chance to point people to true north, we gotta be ourselves. We get this chance to love everyone always, to see people the way God sees them, and to have the chance to invite them, pray for them. If you go to Acts chapter 13, it's an amazing story. Paul shows up at a synagogue. Synagogue's probably about 200 people tops. It's in the city called Pisidian Antioch. There's scholars say about 50,000 people lived in the city. And he shows up, and people recognize him, probably from what he's wearing, from the way that he talks, that he's not from around here. And they ask some questions, and they realize, oh my goodness, this is a rabbi. He studied with Gamaliel. He probably has something really powerful to say. It'd be like Billy Graham showing up. And so they go, hey, would you mind sharing with us? Paul's like, you want me to teach? Sure, sure. He gets up in this synagogue and preaches the gospel of grace. And these Jewish leaders and people had never heard this message before. And they are shaken to their core. At the end of it, they ask him, hey, will you come back next week? And you can read this in Acts 13. It says this, that the next week, almost the entire city came back to hear Paul teach. A synagogue of 200 people, they all disperse, and they reach a city of 50,000 people, and almost the entire city comes to hear Paul teach. Makes me wonder, why doesn't that happen anymore? I mean, can you imagine fresh water? If like you, you just felt yourselves going, you know what? We live in a community of twenty five thousand. what if we got so moved to say you know what we are next week going to invite people or we know that alpha is starting in september we're going to do whatever we can to invite and engage our city to pull people into these moments of conversations that point people towards true north what might happen i think when we live that way something changes within us I'll tell you the story from the nineteen seventies, November fifth, actually nineteen sixty-seven. There was a technician in Vietnam. His name was Charlie Smith. He's grilling burgers when all of a sudden over the radio something comes over and says, Scramble, scramble, green jolly giant, go time, go. Charlie Smith knows what that means. He's a para-rescue jumper, like para-jumper rescuer, like he's the guy who jumps out of helicopters to save people. The Green Jolly Giant is one of those big helicopters, and so he gets his gear and he takes off running. Gets into the helicopter, starts taking off towards Vietnam, towards enemy lines. Charlie Smith goes, hey, what pilot got shot down? Because he knows that call, scramble, scramble, meant a pilot got shot down. And the helicopter captain says, it was Captain Billy Sparks. Charlie Smith goes, Billy Sparks, I love that guy, he's always been so good to me, as they're starting to get closer and closer to where the coordinates are that Billy Sparks is supposedly at, mission control command starts to call over and says, it's too dangerous, it's too risky, abort the mission, leave, go, you can't come Billy Sparks is realizing how dangerous this is, and he even is calling out through the radio Don't come for me. It's too risky. It's too dangerous. But the helicopter keeps getting closer and closer to Billy Sparks which just makes Command Central get crazier in their screams and their commands, aboard the mission, return home, that's in order. And Charlie Smith grabs the radio and goes, there's too much static, I can't hear you. We are gonna rescue him, we will see you when we return, goodbye, and he ends up getting over and he jumps out. And the story goes, he grabs Billy Sparks, they pull him up and he rescues him. And I read this story. I see this picture, and I see the gospel. I see the gospel. Because I see God sending his son, his one and only son, to rescue, to redeem, not to condemn the world, but to rescue and save the world through him. And I guarantee you there's probably angels going, this is too risky. You're gonna give your son up? Don't do it. Don't do it. There's even people, many of us at times, going, we don't want this. Let us go our own way. And for the love of creation, Jesus gave himself. My friends, let me just tell you, and when you do the work of an evangelist, it's about living a life that is willing to take risks. And risk is an acronym for me. And the R is this, rescue people, rescue people. Rescued people, rescue people. Every one of you in this room, if you are a follower of Christ, you've experienced the power of, the, of grace and God's love for you. But it doesn't just stop with you. And it's not just waiting to get to heaven, no, no, no. It's about having this eyes and heart for God's creation and trying to take as many people with you as possible. Rescued people, rescue people. I remember being in Hawaii for my 10 year anniversary. I had never been, and so we'd saved up for a couple years, and we ended up taking our kids and our in-laws, and we were staying at a condo on a cove where we could just overlook the water. It was powerful seeing whales breach. And you could, like, go through three different condo associations and get into the water. And when it was low tide, you could just stand in the water and look down. You could see the sea turtles and the amazing life that was under the sea. It was amazing. But twice a day, there would be a sea change high tide would come in, big waves would come, and it would just rise. It was a little bit crazy. I remember one day about 5, 5.30, I'm grilling out when all of a sudden I hear this shriek and this scream. A woman just screams, help! And I, I look out and I see the waves starting to come in and I realize, oh my goodness, this is a sea change. High tides coming in, she can't swim. And something comes over me. I think it was like my inner David Hasselhoff and I just took off running. And I jump a condo association fence, run to the next condo association, jump another fence, keep running. I start taking my shirt off and I'm running my shoes off. And I, I'm remembering these, these words. My friends, when they were lifeguards in Newport Beach, they used to say they'd gather together and they would just say before they went and took their post, not on our watch. And that was my prayer. I jump in the water, not on my watch, God, not on my watch, not on my watch. I get to this woman. I put her on my back. I start bringing her back. She's not really breathing. We bring her to the shore. I see her 11-year-old daughter. I see her five-year-old son just weeping. They end up like doing some like mouth-to-mouth CPR stuff, and she ends up coming back, and there's this moment like I feel awesome because a guy with a corona looks at me and goes, bro, way to go, man. (laughs) But then I look up, though. I look up at the cove from where I came from, And I realize I see 40 to 50 people just standing with their arms folded, looking down at what happened. And in that moment, no joke, I felt as if God whispered to me, how often have you been one of them? You just ran, jumped in the water, and saved a woman that you do not know, and yet there are people in your life who are drowning in their faith, drowning in addiction, drowning in their finances, drowning in their marriage, drowning, and they don't think they're going to make it. How often have you been one of them? And as I walked back, there was such profound conviction how I had allowed myself to receive grace and hold on to it. And friends, rescued people, rescue people. God has put people in your life, and he's inviting you to invite them into the church, into faith, into Alpha. You have amazing opportunity into your life. Are you gonna do it? R, rescued people, rescue people. I, something I call invitational fails. What I've realized is a lot of people put a lot of pressure on themselves. That if they make an invitation, they think it has to be so perfect. I'll just be honest with you. I fail at this all the time. So I got to the point where I just started celebrating invitational fails. And what I mean by that is I planted a church in Southern California. And we kind of gathered our core team and said, hey, how we're going to do this is we're going to pray. And then we're going to make invitations. And some of them are going to work and we're going to celebrate those. And some of them aren't. And we're going to celebrate those we're going to celebrate failure. Now, I know some of you are all like, of course he's going to celebrate failure. He's a Michigan fan. Like, I know, I know, okay? It's hard time for us, okay? Be kind, okay? Let's just talk about this for a second. When you go to Columbus Airport, why does U of M, the two middle letters in your capital, Buckeye City? That's interesting. Why is your coach Urban Oscar Mayer, U of M. Like, that's like his name, right? It's all around. You go to the airport, it's all maize and blue. I'm just telling you, I think there is a lot of closet Wolverine fans in the state of Ohio. Just be careful. There's one right here. Now, here's the deal, okay? What I, th- what I found was this. We have to be the kind of people who find ourselves, first and foremost, wanting to have intimacy with Christ. When you abide and remain in Christ, everything's overflow. We put so much pressure on doing it right. No, no, no. What I want is just connection with Christ. And when God whispers, I want to say yes right away. So we started celebrating people who failed. So one guy is like total data entry guy, and he's like, I got a story. I'm like, what is it? He goes, ma'am, I would like this moment where I'm like entering stuff, and then my boss walked in, and I felt like God say, invite him to church, invite him to church. So I said, what do you do on Sundays? And he said, I watched football and I said that's cool and he said it is and then I said well do you want to come to church and he said no and then he walked out he tells the story and then all of us are like yes that's awesome you tried right I think you have to totally normalize failing there's a, a girl here her name's Abby she was at the 9 a.m. service she's at this service too but between services, she reached out on her phone, invited two people to come to the service, and they both said no. Fresh water, I think we should celebrate that. So, way to go, Abby. Where are you, Abby? Right there, way to go. I love that. Because that's the spirit. When you find yourself going, man, I've been given the seeds of grace, we ought to be just throwing those seeds everywhere. But so many of us live our lives. Seeing grace like Barney Five saw a bullet and just like, I got one. I'm just going to like throw that at you. (laughs) No, man, everywhere I go, I want to be inviting people into the goodness and the grace and the story of God. And sometimes that's just going to be coffee. Sometimes it's going to be alpha at our church. Sometimes that's going to be a weekend service. Sometimes that's going to be me sharing my story and inviting people to faith. But man. If you don't have fails, you ain't gonna have successes. You gotta have them, and you gotta celebrate the intimacy and listening to the Spirit and trusting God because that's what you want. Rescue people, rescue people, invitational fails, and then the S. Seven days. And here's my challenge. I think many people who are sincere Christ followers live off the stories of God at work In their lives from years and decades ago if I sit down with most Christ followers I go hey man tell me a story of God at work and they tell me a story of something that happened when they were in college or when they were in their 20s and I'm like that was 30 years ago and it's almost as if like I put in my time and now I'm just kind of sitting on the sidelines And here's my challenge to myself. It's my own personal challenge. I want an only God story every seven days. I want to be telling stories about how God is at work in and through my life every seven days because it makes me dependent on him. It makes me expectant for him. And I believe God wants to give you an only God story every seven days. If you just think about that, you would have 52 only God stories a year. And I kid you not, when you have an only God story and you see them week after week, you become addicted to them. Every time you walk into an environment, you're like, God, what are you going to do? It changes your perspective of people. It changes your perspective of the Holy Spirit. It changes your perspective of what God might do. Here's mine. I was walking out of a restaurant recently. I was walking up to a restaurant recently, and a person walks out, and, and she stops me, and she goes, oh my goodness, and I was like, oh yeah, hi, and she's like, I know you, and I was like, oh great, uh, I don't know you, what's your name, she tells me her name, I'm like, uh, she looks familiar, but I can't, I can't really remember, and so she goes, I have to tell you the story, and I was like, sure, she goes, three years ago, you showed up at my bar, and she worked at this local restaurant in this bar. she was a bartender. I sat down, I was ordering takeout food, and I sat down at the bar, I was just waiting. And she walked by, and I, I saw like and sensed that she just wasn't doing well. And so I just looked at her and I simply said, "When's the last time you've experienced profound good in your life?" And she looked at me and she's like. I don't, I don't know. I don't remember. And when she said that, I remembered that because she didn't answer anything more. I, I remember just saying, well, I, I'm a part of a church. I think you could actually help us. And I think maybe we might be able to point you towards good and some good that God wants to do in your life. And she said, okay. I said the name of our church. That was it. I grab the food, and I leave, and as I'm walking out, this is what I thought, fail. Like, what dumb question is that? What's the last time profound good you've experienced in your life? <laughs> I'm like, come on, man, you're better than that. Like, and I go to the car, and I'm like, God, I tried. Like, oh, man. And I'm like giggling, driving back. I remember that when she said that. And she said, I thought about that question for weeks, and then one day I walked into the church and someone that i had seen from high school saw me and we started talking and all of a sudden my son gets plugged into the student ministry comes alive becomes a different kid and all of a sudden i start showing up and god begins doing something in me and 3 weeks ago i got baptized and i and i sat there and i was like i thought that was a fail But God was just beginning a story. And and, and that's like a, that happened, this is like a seven-day story. And friends, I'm just saying this because every seven days, I think God wants to use you. You being you. And then the last, K. It's just you on your knees in prayer. Every great move of God has started with prayer. Prayer. And this is about you abiding and remaining in Christ. This is about you praying for moments and opportunities. It's about you being willing to take risks when he presents them. And when you begin to have the presence of mind to pray for the faces and pray over the places that you encounter, God's gonna do an amazing work. Friends, let me tell you this. God will put you in opportunities where redemption is possible, if you want it. God will put you in opportunities for you to be an advocate for his grace if you pray for it. Your eyes, your ears, your heart, your mind will be wide open if you pray for it. And when you understand that the scriptures teach the priesthood of all believers, that every one of you is a pastor of your neighborhood, of your marketplace, of your coffee shop, of wherever you frequent, if you walk in going, God, use me, I kid you not, he will use you. And I'll tell you this, because my friend Jose, he's a car dealer. Don't hold that against him. But Jose believed this, that he was the pastor of the local Nissan dealership in Chicago. And it was coming to the end of the month, and if they sold eight cars in one day, they would break every store record. So the general manager calls the team huddle and goes, we got to sell eight. We got to sell eight. And during this time, Jose hears, tell him you'll sell four cars. Jose's like, I've only ever sold two cars, God. Tell him you'll sell four. So Jose goes, hey, we can do this. I'll sell four, but I want you to come to the Christmas Eve service at Willow. And the general manager goes, if you sell four, I'll do whatever you want. So Jose gets on the horn, and by noon, he sold two cars. He's got six more hours to go. He goes through a five-hour, like, just silent streak, nothing. 5.11, someone walks in. He ends up selling another car. He's 5.42. He's got 18 more minutes, and he's like, please, God. I've sold 3 cars. Come on. At 5:57, someone walks in. Another salesman jumps on him. Jose is like, "Ah." But the guy who walks in goes, "Is there a Jose here?" Jose is like, "What are you talking about?" "Yeah, yeah, that's me. That's me. That's me." The guy walks up to him and goes, "Hey Jose, you, uh, we've never met, but you sold my best friend a car and my car just just it's done. I need a Sentra right now. Like just the cheapest one. Let's do it." And he sells his fourth car. He sells it, then he gets on this phone, he texts his general manager and goes, I just sold four, we broke the record, which service are you going to? Crickets. (laughs) The next day, he gets called into his general manager's office, he's sitting there, general manager pulls out his checkbook and goes, how much do you want your bonus to be? Now Jose's got a choice, cash or conviction. And a lot of us would take the cash. But Jose goes, I don't want your money, I want you to follow through on your deal to come to a Christmas Eve service. Here's nine service times. Which one would you like to come to? General manager slams his hands on the desk and says, I'm not going to your stupid service. Walks up and leaves his own office. And Jose is like seated there. And like, he's like, what do I do? And he goes, I'm gonna wait him out. And so he just stays seated in the office. 15 minutes later, the general manager walks back in and goes, all right, Jose, you're right, we had a deal. But here's my deal back to you. If I gotta go to your Christmas Eve service, then all of these jokers have to go as well. And so on December 22nd, 134 staff and their families from a local Nissan dealership showed up to the Willow Creek Christmas Eve service. And I sit there and I go, Rescued people, rescue people. Invitational fails. Every seven days, Jose had a story and he was on his knees praying. And friends, I'm asking you, what might God want to do through you? 25,000 people. Can you imagine if this entire city went through alpha? What might God do? Can you imagine if many of those people started to come into fresh water? What might God do? Can you imagine if you opened up your home and you invited people into your life? What might God do? Here's my question. Point to True North. Where is it? Every one of you, point to True North. Where is it? Yeah, the beginning you had no idea where it is. Now, every one of us know. That's our call. As a church, to point people to True North. To fix our eyes on Jesus and bring as many people as possible. When the disciples in Acts chapter 4 came through a moment of profound movement of God, the Sanhedrin pulled them aside and said, stop talking in the name. They didn't even say the name of Jesus. They just said, stop talking in the name. And they basically threatened them. They scared them. But those two disciples returned to the rest of the crew and they gathered and they prayed. You know what they prayed for? They pray that the Holy Spirit would make them even more bolder. And that's my prayer for you. This community would be filled with the desire to take a risk. Because Christ took the biggest risk for you. That this community be filled with the Spirit of God to be filled with boldness to reach their friends who are far from God. And so here's what I want to do. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. I'm going to sing this song over to you. But... I just wanna give you a moment, just to begin to really think, who are the faces that God's put in your story? What are the places where God has placed you, where you can be seen on mission as a pastor? Maybe it's a local Starbucks, maybe it's a school, maybe it's the marketplace, maybe it's a neighborhood, maybe it's your team, maybe it's some rec league, maybe it's a gym, I don't know where it is, but faces and places where you can scatter seeds where you can call out the good in someone, where you can look for the needs of someone, and you can begin to invite them, whether to Alpha, whether to church, whether to Christ, whether into your life. And so for me, I'm someone who sometimes needs my posture to kind of lead my heart. Maybe your hands just need to be open. just, Just to begin to think like, God, this is the story you've given me. This is the gifts that you've given to me. What would it look like for the Spirit of God just to rain down on you right now and give you that risk taker kind of faith? The Spirit of God to just pour out his boldness on you. To see people the way God sees them. As the Spirit of God, I pray that you would fill this place. I pray that you would break our hearts for the people who are seeking and searching to find significance in anything but you. Some are just trapped in addiction. Some are drowning in trauma. Some are just filled with just gut-wrenching stress and anxiety. Some are finding their identity and their title, their performance. Some of them are just struggling. And God, we have the key. We've been given grace. God, let us be the kind of people who live an invitational life, who are inviting people into the greatest story ever told. Work within fresh water. Give them faces. Give them names. Give them places. And make them bold for you. We love you, God. Amen.